0: Good morning. We're in a series called What Does God Want? And what I'm talking about today is perhaps one of the most difficult things in life to achieve what God wants. And that is how we react when someone means to do us harm. How we react to people when they hurt us. And we've been in this series looking at several different things that Jesus talked about and how he revealed what God wants for our lives, we're looking at a certain section of scripture that later was named Sermon on the Mount. It's when Jesus just sat down with a group of people, a large crowd was traveling with him, he sat down and he started to teach them. And that's in the New Testament book of Matthew, starting in chapter 5. I'd like you to follow along in some Bibles that are coming down the aisles right now. If you don't have one, just raise your hand. Bible's yours to keep. If you don't have one, keep it with you uh, so you have access to what is God's will for your life. So take one of those and take it home with you. You can follow along in there as you turn to the page numbers that are on the screen or you can just read on the screen as I read today from Jesus' message called the Sermon on the Mount. So has anybody in here not ever been wronged? Anybody? any hands up, anybody never had their feelings hurt, never had somebody betray them. You you may have been wronged this week. You may have been insulted, stuff taken from you. People say something about you that's not true. We've all had that stuff happen to us. It kind of happens several times maybe through life. Somebody hurts you or does something against you, and that's what makes this teaching from Jesus one of the most difficult ones because there's what our nature is when it comes to what we want to do when somebody hurts us and then there's the reality of what God wants and that's what Jesus is getting ready to reveal to a group of people who had missed it when it came to how to react when people meant to do them harm and it's in Matthew chapter 5 beginning at verse 38, Jesus says, you've heard that it was said, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Now, you've got to kind of look at it through the eyes of the people who were listening to Jesus say that. They had biblical reason to say eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. If you read in the Old Testament, the book of Leviticus, chapter 24, it talks about an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. So what's the big deal? The Bible says to do it, so why can't you just get even? Well, they had a problem with following what Leviticus 24 said. Number one, that was a judicial thing. It wasn't an individual thing. And number two, they were starting to, they were getting even with interest. Like if they were saying things like, if you steal my cow, I'm gonna steal your cow and your chicken and call your mama ugly. You know, they were they were doing something more. They were like clicking it up a notch. And they were not going by what God had said. This is a judicial thing. It, it's not meant for interpersonal relationships. It's not meant that if you do something bad to me, then I get to do something bad to you. In the context, in the biblical context, is why Jesus said, you've heard it was said... But let me tell you what it really means, because you've missed the boat. You think it means you can get back at people with interest, but the reality is that's a judicial thing that the courts decide when it's an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Jesus goes on to even say something a little bit more than just an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. He says, if someone strikes you on the right cheek... Turn to him. The other, also. Now that is hard to live by because what happens in life? Your your son or daughter comes home and says somebody's picking on me at the school and they keep hitting me. What are you going to say? Hit him back. Don't let him hit you. Like if you let son if you let somebody hit you now they'll be hitting you for the rest of your life. Just punch him right back. And while that usually does take care of the problem, when that happens. It's hard to listen to what Jesus says and think, okay, he says if somebody strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also, and then I see this issue where my son, my daughter, there'd be something physical going on, and I'm saying, look, you've got to take up for yourself. How do you live today by what Jesus was telling these people 2,000 years ago? How do you have the kind of response that the Amish community had in 2006 when a guy named Charles Roberts walked into a school, took 10 girls hostage, and ended up killing five of them. How do you respond to that? You know how the Amish community responded? Listen to this news report. It says, On the day of the shooting, the grandfather of one of the murdered Amish girls was heard warning some young relatives not to hate the killer, saying, We must not think evil of this man. Another Amish father noted, This man had a mother and a wife and a soul, and now he's standing before a just God. He committed suicide after he killed the girls. Jack Meyer, a member of the Brethren community living near the Amish in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, explained, I don't think there's anybody here that wants to do anything but forgive and not only reach out to those who have suffered a loss in that way, but to reach out to the family of the man who committed these acts. A Roberts family spokesperson Men said that an Amish neighbor comforted Robert's family hours after the shooting and extended forgiveness to them. Amish community members visited and comforted Robert's widow, parents, and parents-in-law. One Amish man held Robert's sobbing father in his arms, reportedly for as long as an hour, as an hour to com- could comfort him. The Amish have also set up a charitable fund for the family of the shooter. About 30 members of the Amish community attended Robert's funeral. Marie Roberts, wrote the wife of the man that did the act, wrote an open letter to the Amish neighbors, thanking them for their forgiveness, grace, and mercy. She wrote, Your love for our family has helped us help to provide the healing we so desperately needed. Gifts you've given have touched our hearts, and in no way can words describe. Your compassion has reached beyond our family, beyond our community, is changing our world. For this we sincerely thank you. And then it says, But some commentators have criticized the swift and complete forgiveness in which the Amish people responded, arguing that forgiveness is inappropriate when no remorse has been expressed. So how in the world, in the middle of that tragedy, could someone only think about doing something good for the person or the people who were related to the person? How can we obey that? I don't know if I could respond that way. I mean, in reality, that would be really difficult to have that immediate. I know we would all get there, and we would all finally get there, but this is like the moment of. They were like, we need to forgive that man first, and then we need to move on and do whatever they did. And how in the world did they get there? See, what Jesus is saying in this passage in Matthew chapter 5 is, when you're hit, you need to absorb it. God wants me to absorb the hit. Now, Jesus is talking about, when he's talking about, you know, somebody strikes you on the one cheek, turn to them the other one, Jesus is talking about insult. He's not talking about physical. Jesus is not saying, stand there and let somebody beat you to death. That's not what this passage teaches. See, when Jesus was referring to this backhand slap, He's referring to an insult. They would have understood what an insult that was. The backhand slap was reserved for a child or for a slave. It was an insult. It was like saying, you're an idiot you're so dumb you know i mean that that's more like what it was like it was an insult it wasn't really a physical thing it was an insult it wasn't meant to cause pain or meant to inflict bodily harm it was meant to insult people in front of other people so what jesus is saying is when somebody insults you you don't have to retaliate so he's talking about interpersonal relationships not physical things I, my mom told me when I was little and she would put me in a chair, oh gosh, I would, she said I would say, mom, please spank me, just, just give me a whip and anything, but don't make me sit in the chair, I mean, that was the worst thing that could happen, that was punishment, I would have much rather received, you know, a couple swipes with a switch, it quits certain after a little while and I can go play, Jesus is talking about insult, not physical One time a reporter asked General Robert E. Lee, he said, when he was asking about an officer, he said, General, I guess you don't know what that officer's been saying about you. Lee answered, I know, but I was asked my opinion of him, not his opinion of me. And it's really hard when we're personally attacked not to want to turn that around and attack somebody else, attack that person back. If somebody insults you, the first thing you want to do is insult them. Or if you've even heard somebody insult you and they're not even around, you want to make sure that people know how what a terrible person that is, right? It's like, well, they said this about you. Well, let me tell you something about them. Well, they said this. Well, let me tell you what, what they do and what they said and what they've done. Jesus gives us the perfect example of what to do when we're insulted. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 23 it says, When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. Now, Jesus, this is while they were physically assaulting him. This is talking about insult. They hurled their insults at him. He did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. See, Jesus had the power to entrust everything that was happening to God. And that's the same power that we have. He knew that God would be the one that could even the score. He knew that when he was insulted, he would entrust himself to the Father. And that's the same thing he's asking us to do. That you don't return insult for insult. Just because someone hurts you doesn't mean you turn around and hurt them. In fact, God asks us to go the extra mile. You ever heard that? Oh, she's a great person. She'll go the extra mile for you. We've heard that statement. We've heard that phrase. That dates all the way back to the first century. Because listen what Jesus said in Matthew 5. He goes on to say, if someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If someone forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Now, Jesus is first starts talking about this legal this interpersonal legal issue that that people must have been having with each other and he's saying look if somebody wants to sue you and take your tunic let him have your cloak as well now i don't have a tunic so you could sue me for my tunic but it wouldn't help because i don't have one i don't have a cloak so what is he talking about how does that apply to us today well then a tunic that was your undergarment so you, you thought suing the pants off somebody was modern that was that happened a long time ago and they're talking about The collateral that was given to make sure you paid back your debt. Your cloak was a big deal because your cloak is what kept you warm. Your cloak is what kept the sun off of you. Your cloak is what you slept on at night. And so if somebody sued you, sued the pants off of you and took your tunic, so to speak, you're also to give them your cloak to show that you are going to pay them back. And the cloak was so important in their culture that you had to give the cloak, if you were given a cloak of someone because to hope for collateral, you would have to give it back to them in the morning you could, or at night. You come and get it in the morning, go, go give it back to them at night because it's what they slept on. So you couldn't just take it and they're standing there naked. You had to give them their cloak to sleep on at night. So it meant something to, to those people who were listening. And what Jesus is talking about is this, our interpersonal relationships, He's talking about not not turning what is supposed to be taken care of by the judicial system into something that's interpersonal. For instance, if somebody kills someone close to you, you can't go kill that person. If somebody harms you physically, you just can't turn around and harm that person physically, or you are guilty of the same thing they're guilty of. And Jesus is saying when it comes to interpersonal relationships, you need to go the extra mile. You need to give more than is required. Now, there's things that obviously the courts have to decide. Like when a person, when the state decides it's time to put somebody to death, an individual didn't decide that. The state decided that. And Jesus is saying when it comes to interpersonal relationships, you can't go get your own retaliation, that God will take care of that for you. Then he says, if somebody forces you to go one mile, go two. Well, to them in that culture, in a culture that was occupied by a Roman army, if a Roman soldier came up to anybody, he could just say, hey, buddy, I'm tired. Come here. You got to carry my pack. And you had to carry it for a mile. That was your duty. You didn't have a choice. Thousand paces, one mile, you had to carry their pack. But at the end of that mile, you could throw their pack down and say, good luck, buddy. I mean, you've done your duty. It didn't matter how tired he was. It didn't matter if he's a nice guy or not. You didn't have to do any more. That was your duty. But Jesus is saying, keep going. Go the extra mile. Do more than is required. See, the first mile is your duty. Do you have to do it? Yes. Do you have to do a second mile? No, that's not your duty, but... Going the second mile is when you become a reflection of God's love and grace in the world. The second mile is what makes people who follow Christ stand out from the crowd. Yeah, do your duty. Yeah, be nice to people, whatever. But when you go that second mile, people see a difference in you. People see something that wow, there's something different about this person. Because what God wants me to do is God wants me to dispense grace and mercy like he does. See, God is saying, I went the extra mile for you. I want you to go the extra mile for others. Did God have to do that? No, but he did. For us, he went the extra mile. And he's asking us not to do what's, because the natural thing is to say, look, I've done my duty. I'm done. I'm finished. I've given in. I'm not doing anymore. But he's saying that don't do what's natural, but tap into that which is supernatural. So when you go the extra mile, it's a supernatural extra mile. It does amazing things when you do what's not required. He's saying do more Than is required because he did for us god gives us mercy and grace and he's asking us to give people mercy and grace You remember what mercy is when you give mercy to someone You have Not given them what they deserve when you don't get what you deserve. That's mercy Teenagers kids when you've done something terrible and your parents are upset with you and you think oh gosh It's the end of my life And they come in and they don't do anything. That's mercy grace is when you get something you don't even deserve you didn't deserve it but you got it because of grace that's what God did for us and that's what God's asking us to do for others now most of us if we took all of us that are in here and we got in a circle and we started to share stories about our conflict most of the conflict that we deal with would be it would be minor It would be, well, she hurt my feelings, or he said that, or or, no, we don't agree on how this happened. It would be this emotional tug of war where somebody's saying, I'm not going to let go. I'm going to have it my way. That's for most of us what it would be like. Jesus is not saying in this passage to stay in an abusive relationship. He's not saying to stay and let someone beat you to death or abuse you he's talking about when interpersonal conflict arises you do what is unnatural you be supernatural and dispense grace and mercy that's how he's telling us to deal with conflict in our life here's the interesting thing about conflict when it happens doesn't usually don't both people think they're right I I remember one time a guy called me up and he just wanted to have a debate, this doctrinal debate about what I think is an extremely insignificant issue. He he wanted to just say, hey, let's debate. And Here's the terms and here's what we're going to do. And We're going to get up and we're going to advertise this and we're going to debate because he didn't agree with something that I believed or taught or whatever, which he didn't even know that accurately. It was just going on hearsay. So he wanted to have a debate. Well, I said, no way. Why would I do that? Because here's what happens in a debate and in conflict Both people think they're right and nobody backs down. Have you ever seen a debate where one person goes, oh man, that was good. You beat me. Uh, You did much better than I did. I, I, I will take your position now. Well, that never happens. A debate ends with both people thinking they won and both people believing even more so that they're right. And it's the same thing with conflict. When you're in this emotional tug of war with somebody and you're going back and forth, And you're not willing to give in, and they're not willing to give in. Everybody thinks they're right. Nobody's willing to go the extra mile. The conflict never ends, but it will end like that if somebody says, you know what, let me go the extra mile for you. This is not worth winning. You go the extra mile, and it will stop conflict in its tracks just this week, I sat with somebody for a couple of hours trying to work something out and get on the same page. And of course, I'm right. They're wrong. And we're trying to figure this out. This is not a life point person. And, and we're, we're trying to figure this out. And, and I know I'm right. I still believe I'm right. But they think the same thing. So what's going to happen? Somebody's going to have to say, you know what? Go ahead. Somebody's going to have to take that extra step and let go of the rope. I'm not sure if that's me yet or not. I'm still thinking about it. But because I'm right. I mean, this is real stuff. The week I'm trying to have to talk about this, I have to deal with it, and it's not easy. It's easy for me to say, oh, "I'll just give in," but I know what it's like to have to sit and say, "Well, if I give in, and this will happen, that will happen, and that will happen." And there are times you, you have to take a stand, especially if it involves other people. But when you're dealing about dealing with someone in an interpersonal way, you can do sometimes is say, "You can have it." You win. And that supernatural action of going the extra mile will change somebody's heart. You can get even, though. The, the Bible tells us we can get even. There's a godly way to get even. Doesn't That, that kind of makes me happy. It's like, okay, now I can get even I, because people have said stuff and maybe somebody's hurt me, so I can get even with them? Yes, you can. Listen to what it says in Proverbs chapter 25. If your enemy is hungry, give him food to eat. If he's thirsty, give him water to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head, and the Lord will reward you. So God is saying, if you want to get even with somebody, do something good for them. Because you may it may not be, oh, you won the argument, but man, you've done something good for them, and that'll change people, and this is hard to do. I've actually, I, I've, I've had to do this before, and this is a long time ago. This was the first the first church I was ever... On staff and a part of there was this old woman at this church and her name was Elizabeth and we called her the church lady and literally she lived right in the church parking lot I mean she was like the church lady and I think she had been so mad for so long about something her face just looked mad she was a little scary you know to see and her skin was all like falling off of her face and she was really old and and she never had a good thing to say never anybody ever meeting don't don't raise your hands but you know we've all been around people like that and the guy kind of my assistant that worked with me he would do some things at church that methods that she hated and finally one day she couldn't stand it anymore and she said if he does that again i'm going to ramp grab him off the stage by the hair of his head and throw him down the hill and i was like all right well let's tell me how you really feel about it i mean she was really angry and she was not kidding she was really mad that's she couldn't have done it physically but she sure wanted to do it well then one night we had this big storm come through our town her house was kind of up on the hill, not shielded from the wind. And, and the next day, I went to the office. I noticed she had a big piece of trim just totally blown off of her house. So I call up my buddy. I said, "Matt, guess what we're gonna do? We're gonna go put Elizabeth's trim back on her house." He was like, "Are you kidding? I'm afraid." You know, is this, we're gonna go to this. So we went, put the ladders up, and we're, we didn't even say anything. We just climbed up on there, and we start. She hears this hammering, and she comes out, and she's just, you know, just watching us. She goes back in the house. I'm like, oh, she's going to get a gun. We're in trouble. I mean, (laughs) something's going to happen. She comes back out. She's got lemonade for us to drink. She invites us in her house. And from that day forward, she was never rude to us again. And that was pretty easy to do physically, to just say. And I remember this verse. I remember thinking, oh, she's going to love this. I'm going to get even with her. I'm going to put trim on on, on the side of her house. And it was a much better feeling than saying something or proving a point or proving I was right on a point, which I believe I was, of course. (laughs) It was much more meaningful to put Elizabeth's trim back on her house. Try it this week. This week, try to do something good for somebody that you think is your enemy, somebody that you've got a conflict with, the Bible says when you do that, it's like heaping burning coals on their head. So if you want to get even, go do something good for them. The reward will come from God. And you will feel more justified than if you had fought and fought and fought to the death. Give that a try. Last week, I sat around in a room with some people who, this was in Guatemala last week, actually week before last, and we were sitting in a room with some people who just months before wanted to harm people at the school where we were. And we sat in a room and had a Bible study with people who hated the people just months before. And I asked the lady in charge, what happened? Why is this different? And it was only because of the love of Christ that the darkness was lifted and these people, these men who were angry, were now open to the message of Christ. Not because anybody did anything back to them, not because anybody protected themselves from them, but because somebody said, you know what, God loves you, God cares about you, and Jesus Christ can change your life. And Joel and Casto and I and several others from LifePoint, we sat in the circle and watched these people with big, bright, open eyes listen to the message of Christ be shared with them. Now, what if somebody would have just tried to say, get those, get them out of here? Let's get them, let's just, they're wrong, we're right. What if that would have been the attitude? Then God would have never been a part of that relationship. Those people would have never been hearing about the message of Christ. So you don't know what giving in and going the extra mile is going to do. You know, for a few weeks after our, our trailer with all of our equipment at Wakefield, all of our lobby equipment got stolen a month or so ago. And 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 for a few weeks, I was just angry, like, how in the world? Why, why would somebody take a church's stuff? I don't think they thought it was a church stuff. I think they thought, because it didn't have our sign on the trailer up there, I think they thought it was tools. And I just think, God bless them when they open it up and they find 200 LifePoint t-shirts. I hope they wear one. I hope they feel so guilty when they put on that life point t-shirt. And when they open up and go, what's this? And it's communion supplies. And they're drinking the grape juice or whatever. I hope that they feel so bad. And I honestly pray, God, let, let, let them just open those dozens of Bibles that they took that were ours. And let the, at least they've got something that they could open it up and it could change them. And if that person drove up right now and said, here's your trailer back because the guilt is so deep that I can't stand it anymore that I stole all this church stuff, I would just say you're forgiven and just let them go on and go the extra mile. That's what God requires for us to do. When we do that, it provides amazing freedom. Hebrews chapter 10 says, sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times, you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You sympathized with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. So people were happy that their property was taken because they had something greater. They had lasting possessions Because they knew with God nothing's going to wear out. If you want to do something to me, take my that's fine, just do it. But I trust in something that's greater than any dollar amount, that's greater than any conflict. I trust in something that lasts. Now that doesn't mean that people can just abuse and mistreat me or you, and us do nothing about it. You can be proactive. The Bible even talks about being proactive. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 10, just a little bit after the Sermon on the Mount, he says, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. So what he's saying is you're going out into a place where people aren't always gonna like you, but be shrewd about it. Set some boundaries. If someone's harming you, set some boundaries so it doesn't happen anymore. If someone's taking advantage of you, be shrewd about it. Arrange things so that doesn't happen anymore. Jesus is not saying just let people over and over and over again mistreat you. But he's saying when conflict comes into your life, this is how I want you to handle it. God wants me to fight evil his way. The Amish community fought evil through forgiveness through supernatural forgiveness and people who had never experienced it on either end were baffled by it. They couldn't understand how in the world could you forgive somebody that's done something terrible because they knew where the harm would be lasting if they didn't forgive. They knew that Satan works in dark places and when I don't let go of stuff, then that's a dark place in my life that he can start to work. They knew that, so they immediately forgave. In the book of Romans, the Apostle Paul tells us where the responsibility lies when it comes to peace. Not for peace, but as far as it is in our life. Listen what he says If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, It is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. Do not, overcome, do, not, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. It's God's place to avenge, not ours. It's our place to go beyond our duty and go the extra mile. Being around a church office, oftentimes there's people who come in and ask for money. Especially where I've been before I was ever at LifePoint, and I remember this one guy, he asked for money a lot. And unfortunately, when that happens, most of the time, they're not telling the truth. Most of the time, it's not for medication. It's not for food. It's for drugs, alcohol, or something else. And so one day, I was just fed up. I was just like, okay, my compassion is like that thin. Okay, you got this big, long story. And I said, here's $20. This is my money, my personal money that God gave me. So it's God's money, really and I'm giving it to you, and if you don't spend it for what you're telling me, you're going to spend it for, God will get you back, and his eyes were like this big, and I said, you know, I was like, man, I'm serious, you ask us for money, I'm going to give it to you, but if you're doing something, if you're lying to me, God will, God will repay you, and the guy just was like, no, I'm, uh, and he just backed away, he didn't even take the money. It was like, God will get you back. So he didn't come back anymore. So I kept using that. I gave away a lot less money when I started doing that and saying, hey, God will get you back for it. The Amish people defeated the enemy by allowing God to work. And in this passage, it says, as far as it depends on you, seek peace and trust. See, when good is over evil, when you, good always wins over evil. You can't control what another person does, what they decide to do, good or bad. But as far as it depends on you, live at peace. This week, I just challenge you to to go the extra mile with people who have wronged you, with people who have hurt you, with something you might be in the middle of right now. Just go the extra mile and allow the supernatural peace to come into your life and maybe even theirs when you become a dispenser of God's love, grace, and mercy. That's what he wants. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this teaching that is so convicting and difficult to obey. Father, I pray as we try to live out turning the other cheek, live out living at peace with everyone, I pray you give us the strength to do that. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.